Will, go ahead and take your Bibles and open with me this morning to Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4. This morning we're going to continue our Christmas theme, our Christmas series of finding hope, peace, joy, and love during the Christmas season and specifically during the birth narratives concerning our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And so what we're going to do this morning to begin is we're going to back up and we're going to look at the text. We're going to read the text, not look. I'm not going to preach four sermons, I promise, but we're going to read through the text we've looked at making our way to what I want us to look at this morning in Galatians chapter 4. So you just turn to Galatians 4 and get ready. I'll meet you there in just a minute. As Jerry just read in Isaiah chapter 9, starting in verse 6, we read this and talked about this three weeks ago as finding hope in Christmas. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. And so we found our hope in the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. In Micah chapter 5 verse 2, excuse me, Micah chapter 5 verse 2 it says this, But you, O Bethlehem Ephrath, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth to me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old and from ancient days. Therefore he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel." And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth. And he shall be their peace. And last week we were in Luke chapter 2, verse 1. It says, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Crenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with great fear. The angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest. And on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. And when the angels went away from there into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste, and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known to them the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in their heart. 
The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. And then we come this morning to Galatians chapter 4, verses 1 through 7. And what I want you to see is that in the midst of all that God had done in prophesying the birth of Christ, in sending Jesus Christ behind the scenes, God had a master plan that was all falling into place that was ultimately put together for our salvation. And we see that in Galatians chapter 4, starting in verse 1, as we look to find love this Christmas season. Paul says, I mean that the heir, as long as he is child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. Verse 4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his father, excuse me, the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for bringing us together this morning that we might be able to celebrate Christmas together, to celebrate the birth of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, as we look at this text in Galatians chapter 4, I pray that we will see your sovereign hand at work bringing all things together according to your predetermined plan. And Lord, that in your sovereignty, we will also see your love for us that you did all of this to redeem us and to adopt us into your heavenly home. Lord, we love you and we praise you this morning. It's in your holy name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, in the text this morning, we're going to see two ways in which we can find love through the birth of Christ. Number one, we can find love by focusing on our redemption. We can find love by focusing on our redemption. Now, when you pick up in verse 1 of chapter 4, it's a little confusing. That's why I never recommend picking up in mid-book without understanding the context of what's going on around it. But what Paul has been discussing back in chapter 3 is the significance of the law based upon and contrasted with the significance of Christ. And Paul views the law as this sort of harsh and hateful guardian that all of Israel has been under and he contrasts that with the love of God seen through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So really in verse 1 we pick up in the middle of an illustration and you got to understand the illustration in order to understand what Paul means. So in order to understand the illustration you got to understand Roman culture and context. So in a well-off family in Roman society if you had enough money when your children were born at a certain age you would place your child under the super supervision of a guardian and that guardian was the one that was responsible for raising the child making sure that the child was educated protected and ready to contribute to society and specifically to the family 
at the pre-appointed time given by the father. And so let's say that the father decided that at 16, I want my son to be brought back into the family and be able to contribute to our family. 16, 18, 20, 21, whatever the pre-appointed time was. And up until that specific time, that child was placed under the tutelage of a guardian. Now, that seems strange to us, amen? Uh, that, that's not a, not a current situation that we're comfortable with. Although some of us parents in the middle of parenting are thinking, well, that's not a bad plan maybe. I don't know. That seems like a good idea. I got some parents going, amen, right? I'm kidding. We wouldn't really do that. But we may threaten it, children. We might threaten it. But we probably won't do that. And the child, just so you understand, wasn't like off somewhere, The child just was under the protection and the tutelage of this guardian. Now, guardians were not always harsh, but oftentimes they were. And so Paul is looking at this illustration and he's taking this in a negative sense as if the guardian was harsh, which typically in the Roman culture, it would have been a bad situation. And so even though the child... Notice in verse 1, even though the child was heir of all that the father owned, would one day become the owner and supervisor of his entire father's estate while he was under the tutelage of the guardian. He was no different than a servant or a slave that would have served in the home. He was no one until the pre-appointed time. Notice verse 3. Paul says, in the same way we also... In other words, the illustration is now being drawn to a conclusion so that we can understand its application. He says, in the same way, we also, when we were children, we were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. What does that mean? It means that we have something in common with the Jews and the Gentile Galatians. We are all under the elementary principles of the world. We are all slaves to sin, in other words. The Jews were under the bondage that was given to them by the law. The Galatians were under the bondage that came through idolatry and paganism. We are under the bondage of sin. All of us are slaves to sin. And no matter how hard we try, we cannot escape it on our own. Matter of fact, we prove that to ourselves every time we try to do better. And live better. And be righteous. And live righteously. In our own power, we can be better than we were yesterday. But we're never good enough. Amen? And we always end up falling tomorrow whenever tomorrow might come. Because we are enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. We are in trouble. We are under the bondage of sin. And there's absolutely nothing we can do about it. But praise God, God could do something about it. Amen? And that's what we find in verse 4. It says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law. Now verse 4 is absolutely filled with information and we've got to make sure we understand each and every piece of it so that we understand what Paul is saying. So look first of all when Paul says, But when the fullness of time had come. Now, I want you to understand the reason I read those previous passages is because I wanted you to see a demonstration of God's sovereignty. God is in control of everything all the time. God is sovereign and he's orchestrating events according to his great purpose and plan. And although we don't understand it, we trust that his plan is good and perfect and ultimately is what's leading to our everlasting home. Amen. 
And so here we get to see God's sovereignty. God prophesies through Isaiah that there is one coming who's going to be uncomprehensible to you. He's going to be wonderful, counselor, mighty God. And God says, I'm going to send him to you through a virgin. Then God says to the prophet Micah, you, Bethlehem, who are, who are insignificant, you're going to be the place that I'm going to send the promised Messiah, the one who's going to bring peace and who's going to rule for all of eternity. And what do we see in Luke chapter 2? We see God do that, amen? Through the virgin, the birth, the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in Bethlehem. And all of it happens according to God's purposes and plans. And what we see in Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, is when the fullness of time had come. Now, if you read commentaries and you study different scholars, they'll give you a whole list of why this particular time in history was so conducive to the coming of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Matter of fact, Larry and I had this conversation last week as he was here cleaning the church. He came to the office and we kind of talked about this for just a moment. But listen, there was all kind of reasons why this particular time was so incredible for the coming of Christ. Rome had just instituted what's called Pax Romana in history, which is a period of forced Roman peace. In other words, Rome got tired of all the wars and all the, 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 the skirmishes that were going on. And Rome said, you know what? It's time for peace. And if you don't keep the peace, we'll come and kill everybody involved in the skirmish so that there'll be peace. So you either keep the peace or we'll kill you. But ultimately, peace is going to reign for a while. And they instituted what's called Pax Romana. Well, in order to get from point A to point B to uphold peace, they had to build a road system. And so not only was there a time of Roman peace, but there was also a new and improved road system so you could get from point A to point B quicker. During that time, Rome also said, you know what? We need a common language if we're going to all get from point A to point B quicker. If everybody's going to be at peace with one another, trade needs to reign. And so they made Greek the common language and trade language of the time. So that almost everywhere you went, there was someone or many people that spoke Greek so that business could be conducted. Well, guess what? That made it incredibly productive for when Christ came. Because then the gospel could spread more easily. There was peace everywhere they went. There was a way to get from point A to point B. And everywhere you went, there was a language that could be understood. And so the gospel was able to spread. And I want you to understand that all of that happened according to the sovereignty of God. Because God is in control. But what the phrase fullness of time means is not just were all of those places should be all of those things in place. All of those things were in place because God is sovereign. But what the phrase fullness of time really means is that this was the particular time pre-appointed in history when God had decided that he would send his son. And God orchestrated everything leading up to this particular time so that everything would be perfect. But I want you to understand, God was in control. That's why it was perfect. In other words, God didn't look at this particular time and say, wow, that looks like a great time. I'll send my son now. No, 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 that's not how it worked. God said before the foundations of the earth, this is when Christ is going to come. This is when the birth of my son is going to happen. And therefore, he orchestrated events ultimately culminating into that point in history. That's what it means when the fullness of time had come. And I want you to understand, that's the God that we serve. We serve a God that is absolutely, completely, and totally in control of everything. Amen? That's comforting. Man, I wouldn't want to serve a God that didn't have control. 
but our God is in control. When the fullness of time had come, then notice the next phrase, God sent forth. That phrase, sent forth, it shows a predetermined plan of God. It shows pre-planning and it shows determination. God sent his son Jesus because God wants a relationship with us. God sent Jesus. Then notice how he was sent. He was sent born of a woman. Now, this is not talking about the virgin birth of Jesus. As miraculous as that is, this instead is emphasizing the humanity of Jesus. You see, he was conceived in a miraculous way, but he was born in an an ordinary way. And it's important that we understand that Jesus Christ, excuse me, was not just fully God as God's son, but that he was fully man, which makes him a suitable sacrifice for us. Amen? This morning, I woke up to text coming in from all over the states and all over the country as our missionary friends and Iranians are texting us Merry Christmas. If Allie looked at her phone, she'd see the same string of texts from our mission trips where, where, where these people are texting us from all over. And all over the world, people are celebrating the birth of Christ. And all over the world, people are opening Christmas presents and they're celebrating the birth of Christ. But all over the world, we use different currencies to buy those different Christmas presents. So if I went from this country to another country and tried to purchase things, I would have to exchange the currency so that the currency I was using was acceptable in that area. Well, I want you to understand, that's why it's so important that Jesus Christ is understood to be fully man. Because he had to be the same currency as us in order to pay for our sin. Does that make sense? Jesus had to be fully God in order to be a suitable sacrifice for us. He had to be the same currency. Well, not only was he born of a woman, but notice he was born under the law. As a matter of fact, this morning when we read Luke chapter 2, we didn't stop at verse 20 like I did this morning. We went through the next verse 21, which says that on the eighth day he was circumcised. Why? Because that's the first example of Jesus perfectly keeping the law. You see, he was born an ordinary Jewish boy, circumcised the eighth day. He was under obligation to uphold the law, including obeying his parents. What makes Jesus different from all those born before is that he did that without sin. Amen? He did it without compromise. So what we get is this picture of Jesus coming from Galatians 4.4 that shows that he is fully God. God sent forth his son. Jesus is fully God. But he was born of a woman. He's also fully man. And he was born under the law so that he perfectly upheld and kept the law of God so that he would be the suitable sacrifice that we needed. So that when he died on the cross, our sins could be forgiven, the law could be fulfilled, and we could have eternal life. Amen? And that's what we see in Galatians chapter 4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. And then in verse 5, we see why. To redeem those who were under the law. The word redeem, remember, means to be bought back. It was typically used of a slave that was bought back and bought into their freedom. So why is it used to describe us? Because the righteous requirement of the law was perfect obedience of which all of mankind failed. 
Therefore, all of us, as Paul says in verse 4, were slaves to the elementary principles of the world. We were all in bondage of sin. But God sent His Son, fully God, born of a woman, fully man, our currency, who perfectly upheld and kept the law so that he was not under bondage to the law. And he was the spotless lamb of God, the perfect sacrifice for us, so that when he died, he died to pay for our sins. And having paid the price for our sin, he then redeemed us. He bought us back from slavery. So that instead of being slaves to sin, as we'll see next, we can become the children of of God. And so as we celebrate Christmas, we find love by focusing on our redemption because it was through Christ that God made a way that we could be redeemed. As a matter of fact, Paul says it this way in Romans 8 verses 3 and 4. He said, for God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. As God, Jesus was able to overcome death. As man, he was a suitable sacrifice for us. As a Jew, he was able to fulfill the law. And through his death and resurrection, he paid the price for our redemption. And God did all of that because he loves us and wants a relationship with us. That's what we celebrate today. Amen? That's what we celebrate. That's what Christmas is all about. That's the reason it is such an important time of the year for us. Because it demonstrates the love of God for us. And so we can find love by focusing on our redemption. And then secondly, we can find love by focusing on our adoption. Look with me now in verse 5, the second part. It says, to redeem those who were under the law, notice, so that we might receive adoptions as sons. You see, the second result of Christ's coming was that we can be adopted into the family of God. We can become the sons and daughters of God. Now, understand, this isn't some second-class sonship where we just kind of have a, a token title that we're the children of God. No, no, no. God makes us His legitimate children. And He does it in the most incredible way possible. So, as most of you, during Christmas, we spend a lot of time with friends and family, right? And, and a lot of our family don't get to see us often. And so as they see us, maybe for the first time in six months, some for the first time in a year, I just went back to my, see my broader family because my uncle passed away after Thanksgiving and we saw some that we hadn't seen in several years just because we don't, we don't get around that often. And no matter how many times people see us or when people see us, they always look at our children because they don't care about us anymore because we've got kids now, right? And they look at our children, and they always decide who they look like, right? So, so they're like, oh, Noah looks just like his mama. But there's, there's a little bit of will in there, too. Haley looks just like her dad, but has the perfect mixture of her mama with her. And then as they hang out with us long enough, they realize who they act like. Oh, Noah acts just like his mama. Oh, Haley acts just like her dad. That's a compliment, by the way. Oh, they're, they're the perfect mixture of their mom and dad. Because the reality is it's true. 
When you spend time with us, when you look at our children, you see the perfect mixture of Carrie and myself in our children. We're, we're literally in them. And they're mini-me's in some way. Right? They're unique, they're distinct, they're who they are. But you clearly see us in them. Notice what the text says. It's incredible. He says, verse 5, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. Don't miss what happens. God sends the spirit of his son into our hearts so that we become more like him. So that we are gradually being conformed into the image of Christ. So that, listen, we look like our Heavenly Father. That's incredible. I don't know how many times I read that passage before that dawned on me. That's what God did. He sent the Spirit of His Son into me, not just to tell me and direct me and and lead me in my life, but so that I would be His legitimate child, that I would look like my Heavenly Father. It's incredible. That's what it means to be adopted into the family of God. We're the legitimate children of God. So much so that his spirit lives inside of us so that we represent our father to the world. We are his image bearers in the very same way that my children bear our image. We bear the image of God. And so we're adopted into the family of God. He sends his spirit into us. Notice the next phrase, crying Abba Father. The term crying there isn't crying in infancy. It's not even crying out in fear. It it more speaks of crying out in intimacy or boldness. What it means is that because he is our actual father, we can have boldness to enter into his presence. Right? We 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 don't enter into his presence with fear. We enter into his presence as his children, knowing that because of what Christ has done on our behalf, we belong. We have the right. We have the privilege. He is our father. Notice he's our Abba father. A lot's been made of that term, but again, it's not a term that's used to speak of infancy. It's not a, not a child talking to their father. It's used to speak of intimacy of any child of any age that refers to their father in an intimate way. So that when I speak to my dad, my dad was here this past week. They left Friday. When I, when I call my dad, I don't call him Mr. Abernathy. I, I don't call him Lord. I, I don't call him anything formal. I call him dad. Because for me, in my family, that's the term of intimacy. Dad, right? And, and, it's, and it's any term that we use to speak to our father that shows we have an intimate and close and good relationship. That's what Abba Father is. It's the Greek term for intimate relationship with our father. For me, I think of it as dad because that's what I used to talk to my... For you, it might be daddy, right? Whatever it happens to be, that's the term used to describe that of an intimate relationship that God has with his children. Because we're the legitimate children of God, we can enter into his presence with boldness and we just have an intimate relationship with him. And he sends the spirit of into our hearts so we can cry out, Abba, Father. You see, through Jesus Christ, God wants to do more than just redeem us for our sins. He wants to have an intimate and personal relationship with every one of us. So the question then is, how do you have an intimate relationship with God? And that's a question that I think is valid for all of us. How can I have a more intimate relationship with God? Well, 
God gives us two ways in which we can have that intimate relationship with him in a practical sense. Number one is through his word. God speaks through his word. So if you want to hear from God, we have to spend time in his word. This is how God communicates to us primarily. Now, God speaks through the prompting of his Holy Spirit. God can speak through others. God can speak through the church family. But primarily, God speaks through the word. And here's what I found. If we're not in the word, then God will not speak in those other ways typically. Right? Now, sometimes God has the burning bush experience for us. Right? But I want you to understand, although that sounds awesome, that sounds cool. That's not as fun as we think it is. Right? Everybody that has that kind of experience with God falls to the ground dead in fear. Right? So that's not what we want. We want God to speak to us in the way that he's trying to speak to us, which is through his word. And so if you want an intimate relationship with God, it starts by spending time in the word. And then secondly, we speak back to God in prayer. Right? Prayer. And I don't mean, you know, rub-a-dub-dub, thanks for the grub, right? I don't mean, God, thanks for the day, forgive me my sins, good night. I mean speaking to God through prayer. Intimate, honest conversation with God, where you as his child tell your heavenly Father what you're thinking, what you're experiencing, what you need, what you want, What's going on in your life? You say, well, he already knows. I, I know. But in the same way that we have an intimate relationship with our children is the way we have an intimate relationship with our father. And although I might know what's going on in my kids' lives, nothing beats us sitting down and talking about it. That's intimate relationships. And that's what God wants from us. Amen? And so it comes through prayer It comes through the word. But if we will take advantage of those things that God has given to us, then we can have that intimate relationship with the Father. And I want you to understand, that's what he wants from us. He didn't adopt us into his family so we can just get a one-way ticket to heaven. He adopted us into his family because he wants us to become his children in an intimate and personal and real way. And so we see that we've been adopted into the family of God. But notice what else. We've not just been adopted into this family for the temporary, but because we are sons, verse 7, so you are no longer a slave but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. Because we are his legitimate children, we've also been made his heirs. Paul says elsewhere that we're co-heirs with Christ, meaning that we will share in the heavenly, eternal inheritance with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. See, God hasn't just brought us into this church family. God's brought us into his eternal family. So that we are all looking forward to the day that Christ will return and call us into our eternal home. Amen? So that all the stuff that's so difficult in this life will be gone. And what will be left for us is an intimate and eternal relationship with our Heavenly Father. That's what we celebrate today. Because it was through the birth of Christ that God demonstrated His love for us. It was through our redemption and through our adoption that we can find love in the Christmas story and in the Christmas season. And it is through that redemption and through that adoption 
that you and I can have an intimate and personal and eternal relationship with God. The question for us this morning is, have we done so? Have we accepted what God has offered in the gift of His Son, Jesus Christ? He says a unique thing about a present. A present is bought, it's wrapped, and then it's given. Right? But in order for the present to be useful, the present has to be received and open and used. Right? Every year, our children get something from a grandparent normally that they open it up and they go, what? What is this? I'll never forget vivid memory Charleston, South Carolina, sitting in my grandmother's living room on Christmas morning, which is not normal. We, didn't, we never were away from home. But this Christmas, we did Christmas at Grandma's in Charleston. And I was probably 16 years old. And I opened up the present. And it was apparent that my grandmother had not really got to spend a lot of time with me since I was about 10 years old, which wasn't true. We spent a lot of time together. But in that box was a Ninja Turtles t-shirt with four Ninja Turtle toys, right? And I remember looking at that going, what? Does she not know that I'm 16? I'm a big boy, right? Why in the what? what is this, right? And so it was received, but it was never used, right? Never, I think I might have put it on as a joke one day, right? But it, was, it, it wasn't received truthfully. Listen, God's given us His Son. It's a gift. But in order for it to make a difference in our eternity, we have to receive Jesus, right? We have to accept Him. We have to open it up, if you will, and receive it into our lives. How do you do that? Well, you first of all believe. You believe in who Jesus is. He is the Son of God, fully God. He was born of a woman, fully man. He did ultimately come to this earth to live among us perfectly, to die on a cross, to pay for our sins. He didn't just stay dead in the grave. He was raised victorious, having defeated death and the grave. And one day, he's going to come back and he's going to call us unto unto him. Amen? We believe in who Jesus is. We believe in what Christ has accomplished. And then we repent of who we are apart from Christ. According to verse 4, we're enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. We confess that we are sinners and we are in desperate need of God's forgiveness. So we believe and we repent of our sin. And then we follow Jesus in our lives. Right? We don't just acknowledge, yep, there's a present out there. Jesus is real. God sent his son, died on a cross, rose from the dead, Christmas and Easter. Yay, yay, yay. That's what the vast majority of the world does. Right? Yep, I know all that. No, we receive and accept Christ by following Him, by becoming His actual children. Amen? And so that's my question for you this morning. Have you trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? And are you demonstrating that in your life by following Christ in your life? If you are, you know it. If you are, other people know it. Because it's evident. You look like and act like Jesus. Not perfectly, 
But God has made a difference in your life. There's been a transformation. And if you're not, today can be the day that you accept Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. Will you pray with me? With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, let me ask you this. Do you know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? It's the greatest gift that God could have given, the gift of His own Son. Have you accepted that gift? If not, then in just a few moments, we're going to stand to sing our hymn of invitation. And that's your opportunity to respond to what God is calling you to do. And so if you're here and you've never trusted Jesus, I believe that God is speaking to your heart now. And if you feel God calling you unto himself, then in just a few moments, I'm going to ask you to respond. And as we stand to sing, you come forward and say, Will, I want to give my life to Jesus. I want to follow Jesus with my life. And I'll tell you everything that you need to know so that you can give your heart and life to Jesus Christ. Maybe you're saying, Will, there's there's not a big crowd this morning, but I'm still too nervous to walk in front of all these people. That's okay. But before you leave, come find me and let me share with you how you can trust Jesus as your Lord and Savior. But if you feel God calling you, do not ignore it. Say yes to his calling. Believer, let me ask you, are you experiencing intimacy with God? If not, it, it, it may be that your prayer life is kind of a miss. So let me just encourage you, pray often and pray honestly with your Father. And then make sure that you're spending time in His Word. If you've got an intimate relationship in this world, whether it's with a spouse, a child, a friend, it always involves listening and talking. It's the same with our Heavenly Father. We've got to listen through His Word. And we've got to talk with Him through prayer. Lord, we love You. We thank You for all that You're doing in our hearts and our lives and in our midst. Lord, we surrender ourselves to You now. Have Your will and Your way during this invitation. Lord, You lead and we will follow. It's in Your holy name that we pray. Amen.